And so what I did is every single thing that I knew how to do, I packaged it up and put it online. And so a lot of us are sitting on skills and knowledge that we haven't packaged up and put online. Like Masterpiece says, like you need more product. And what I realized is when you have product and you have automations, you have passive income. You gotta take an inventory of every single idea that you have and execute on that idea. And I think what time what we try to do is we try to find that that number one idea that's gonna hit, not realizing that the market's gonna determine that. And so you gotta give the market more opportunities to find what's hot. And so you might have a book, you might have a course, you might have a workshop, you might have one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching, you might have group coaching, you might have working with, with uh, schools and putting a curriculum into the schools. You gotta release every single one of those things because you never know what's gonna catch fire. But then when you do find that thing that catches fire, that's what you focus on. We on the end, dope. What it sounds like to be the best. This is a Black Wealth Podcast. Yes. Build wealth, invest, own, and close the wealth gap. It's time to break down these financial concepts with your host, Mr. Todd Millionaire himself, Charles Oglesby, and Raphael Husband. We got Tweet Talk Podcast in the building. We got Ant Walker in the building. Well, I am Raphael of Tweet Talk Black Wealth Podcast. Got my man Charles, Todd Capital in the building. And we got Ant Walker 33. Uh, finance Friday. Tell the people who you are, Ant. Yeah, man. My name is Anthony Walker. Um, I am an educator. I'm a speaker. Um, I'm an author. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I'm just a. I'm a person that is that really cares about Black folks. You know what I'm saying? I really care about our development. Um, and I really think that we have a lot of like real dope opportunities. You know what I'm saying? Within within the context of, of of where we're at in this country and everything that we've been through, I think we have a lot of really unique opportunities. And I think now this generation, we're at a pivotal point in order for us to take advantage of those opportunities and really grow um, economically kind of from the ground up. So, you know, that's who I am and that's what I got going on, man. Uh, you know, definitely a, a, a fan of the brother Ty Capital. We bumped into each other. That's that's how we got here. We bumped into each yeah. other. Uh, I forgot what month it was, but it was in Sacramento, California. You know, and and I said, man, tell Raphael to get me on the show, man. Tell him, tell him, <laughs> tell him, put me on. Give me and Raphael been building since then. So glad to be here for sure. It's it's crazy how when you you take social media and you actually make that in person connection, it kind of makes it a little bit of a deeper connection. So it's kind of cool how that happened. But I'm curious, how did you uh, how did you get to this point, man? How did you get to the point of writing your own book, um, being interested in this space of helping the people with financial literacy and things like that? Yeah, nah. So for me, man, I, I didn't realize it growing up, but my whole life has been ha has been preparing me to be in this space um, and kind of be in this lane, like for like the backstory really is like my parents were like really big time hustlers in the 80s like they did you know what i'm saying they did some very uh, uh amazing things from what i've heard i was born in 88 so i didn't get a chance to see it but they had limo companies and you know what i'm saying all type of different companies some were 100 percent legitimate some were not so legitimate um but by the time i was born they had split up um went their separate ways and you know they ended up losing some of what they gained throughout their, you know, their little, you know, however little seven or 10 year run during the 80s. But what they held on to was a lot of information, you know, a lot of what we call game. And uh, just, I, I was raised with entrepreneurship being at the center of everything that we had going on inside of both of those houses, both of my, my, both my mother and my father's house. 
Like, I don't remember my dad ever really having a, a nine to five job. Yeah, well, he, he had a couple of little here and there, but not really. You know what I'm saying? My mom either. My mom, like the first at least 15 years of my life, probably 12 to 15 years of my life, she was really getting it out the mud. So that was my reality. It didn't even seem like it was, un, you know what I'm saying? Like it didn't even seem, un, uh, uh, didn't even seem like I, I didn't know anything else. Um, and I didn't realize till I was much older, like the value in that, right? And mind you, it's not like they were like ultra successful when I was born. Like we had, we had our moments. It was different things. My mom did really well. We had, she had different little good runs here and there, but it was just the, 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 the ethos, you know what I'm saying? Just the understanding that you don't need anybody else in order to take care of yourself. And, uh, that, so that's, that, that's the background, you know what I'm saying? That's the background. That's another you know, specific story to how I got here exactly. But I think that's what laid the foundation for me caring so much about entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. That's cool. But um, you're you're in Cali, right? Yeah, man. I'm in o Oakland, California. From San Diego, I live in Oakland. That's cool. That's cool. How did um how did you get started with Finance Friday? Yeah. So so what happened was, bro. Uh, I actually I actually got so I was in sales prior to the pandemic starting. I was in sales. And once the pandemic happened, I lost my job in sales. And for me, like my unique, uh, my unique story is this, like I caught a felony when I was 18 years old, like out the gate, probably like three months after I turned 18. Um, I caught, I caught a case, you know what I'm saying? And I'm starting to like tell this story. This is, this is a story that I'm starting to tell as I'm doing different speaking engagements and stuff, but I hadn't really told this story much up until now, but uh, I caught a case and I got a felony. And uh, I ended up going, you know, getting my life together, going back to school, playing football in college. You know what I'm saying? Like did all what I would consider all the right things. Got my degree, got my master's. But I really suffered from like a lot of underemployment throughout the course of my like adult, you know what I'm saying, career. Right. Because just having a felony on my record, like it got expunged when I uh, like probably like four or five years ago now. But uh, that was always like a reality for me since I was 18, just underemployment. So because of that, well, because of that and other different factors, um, I, I, I've always valued and I always had something going on on the side. You know what I'm saying? Like I used to do football camps for the youth all throughout San Diego. Um, you know, we, we had uh, many NFL players, you know what I'm saying? Like come through our camps, like thousands of kids throughout the course of the years. And that was really like what, what was always kind of like my little side. Like summertime came, I knew we was going to put together a camp. You know, I had a good little list of a couple hundred kids that was going to show up. You know what I'm saying? We did scholarships, but uh, quite a few of the kids paid. So I knew I was going to get at least a little lump in the summertime and be all right. Um, so that that's kind of like was 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 always kind of going on in the background as I was ascending, as I was getting my degrees and things of that nature. But uh, so so that's I, I would say that that I, I, in some ways I was kind of pushed into entrepreneurship or it was a part of, you know, what I'm saying like it's a part of the DNA of what I did. And uh, I lost, once I lost my job in the pandemic, it was a sales job. That was the first, I would say, job as an adult where, you know, I brought in good money because it was, you know, you eat, you eat what you kill kind of thing. And I, I did really well as far as the sales was concerned. So I, I had a good, like, couple year run. And I would say that was my first job where I was gainfully employed as an adult. And uh, the pandemic took that from me. And uh, I went through the process of actually getting my, my life insurance license. I'm like, I'm already doing sales. It, you know, it might make sense. Got the life insurance license. And what I realized is what life insurance companies do is they take our premiums and they invest it into the stock market. 
and and by the time we die it's nothing to pay us like it's easy to pay us off because they, they they ran up all this money off of our premiums all these years so a light bulb just went off like oh i need to figure out what's up with this stock market like that's where they're if that's where they're putting the money at i need to learn about the stock market and i started doing my study man start start looking into the stock market and i realized the principles are the same that my the same principles my parents already taught me it's nothing different literally nothing different i could take you line by line how it's the same exact uh, mentality as entrepreneurship and the same principles as entrepreneurship and i was like oh i need to share what my parents taught me all these years and because it's valuable it's interesting because underemployment really shows its face when you have the credentials so you had an undergrad degree and you had a master's and they still wasn't showing you any love and so it becomes a part where you do got to build something on the side but thankfully you had all the the education to kind of make something that extra free time where you're not just like kind of BSing that free time. But it's true. Like, especially in California, man, I don't know what it is about California, but California just like, they don't pay that well. Mm -hmm. It's this weird thing where we, we make it seem like California is this dope place because it's so expensive to live here. But like the average person isn't balling because they make it very difficult companies. The taxes are high. And the people are out here struggling, trying to figure out why they can't buy a home. But there's like sold this dream that America, that California is so dope. And I realized that because I was just in Texas and Texas is lit, man. Everything in Texas was cheap. Everything. Yeah. I was just like shocked. The golf was 20 bucks. Um, went to get some food. Like everything was just cheap. And the whole time, like that, you guys are really going to just charge me like 50 bucks for what, 20 bucks for this. And California really shows its face. But I'm curious because a lot of times people, when they say California, and they'll they'll lump Southern California in with Northern California, and you lived in both parts of California. Can you talk about how those different parts of the country are different, or different parts of the state are different? Yeah, well, so it's it's interesting because I actually grew up in San Diego, but my whole my dad lived in Sacramento my whole life. So Sacramento is my second home. So I've always been between Southern and Northern California. And you ask people from like Northern California, they're like, man, that's a whole different state. Like, it's not even the same. Like, in Sacramento, I used to get over you, like, man, San Diego's not even in the state. That's in Mexico. So, for me, like, you know, there's obvious similarities just as far as like, you know, the prices of, of real estate is, is extremely expensive where I'm from in San Diego and also the greater San Francisco area, Oakland, the East Bay. Um, it's all extremely expensive. Um, San Diego has the best weather in the world. I don't know if this is what you're asking about. And we also have the best taco shops in the world. So I heard next to uh, north of Mexico, we got the best taco shops in the United States. But uh, I don't know, man. I think that Oakland is a very unique place. I wouldn't even consider, even though Oakland obviously is Northern California, I would consider Oakland a very unique place, even within the landscape of Northern California, just because of like its rich history when it comes to like black folks like you know the home of the panthers the home of like a lot of like interesting movements you know what i'm saying and like a lot of interesting figures so i think that oakland is very unique and and that's what i appreciated when i got here was like oh like like when i went to the i, I was uh i was doing like some some teach some substitute teaching when i first moved up here and i went to the like the the building where the like the the i don't know like the the district building right and it has everybody's like pictures on the wall, like who works there. And it was all black folks from like the top to the bottom, all like the main, the main people. And I was just so, I was so taken back being from San Diego. We're such a small pop, like black people are such a small population in San Diego. 
like I like not to say I couldn't believe it, but I almost I was like really surprised. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that is like uh, definitely unique to Oakland, but that was something that was, was was that struck me immediately moving up here. And I'm starting to see now like San Diego's becoming a lot more. And I think uh, San Diego's becoming a lot more. It's a lot more black professionals and black people that are moving and shaking. But when I was growing up, I just didn't see a lot of that, to be honest. Yeah. So uh, that's one difference, I would say. And I, I think just being on the East Coast, like I went to D.C. this year. I went to New York. Um, you know, I spent time, you know, in the South quite a bit, uh, been at like Atlanta, like you realize, like all of those places are like three hours away from each other, driving four hours, six hours. So like Northern California and Southern California and San Diego is an eight hour drive. You know what I'm saying? You could, you could cover a lot of different States, um, you know, on the East coast. So geographically, I think it's a huge difference in that sense as well. Yeah. So I don't know, bro. Those are the couple of things that come to my mind. I don't know if you had any specifics, you know, thoughts that you wanted to. Where in San Diego did you uh, grow up, though? Where in San Diego? Yeah, so I grew up in an area, well, between two places, but I grew up primarily in an area called Mira Mesa. So okay. when I was in, in middle school, I moved to a, to the area called Mira Mesa. It's a suburb north, like north of San Diego proper. Yeah. Um, you know, like a big, kind of like football town kind of thing. And that was yep. one of the reasons we ended up moving there because I was a football guy. So uh, and then, but then when I was younger, I lived in an area called Southeast Ocean View Boulevard, to be specific. That's what they, you know, that's what they'll consider the ghetto. It's a lot of black and Latino folks. Um, you know what I'm saying? So those were kind of like my two realities growing up. I would say. I went to a middle school in La Mesa, and I um, lives out near the Morse High School area. Yeah. So I know Sandy. So hold on, so, are you from, I, I, I know I spoke to your, your mother still lives in San Diego, right? Live in the Inland Empire. They live oh. in Empire. And So when you weren't in San Diego, where did you grow up at? When I wasn't? Yeah. We uh, moved to the IE. So we, uh, I grew up in San Diego from like elementary school to middle school. And then from middle school, we moved to the Inland Empire. And I did college up in this area too. Where'd you go to college at? I went to Cal State San Bernardino. Oh, okay. Okay. That's what's up. That's yes, what's up. What what got you? What, you know, just, to, just out of curiosity, what got you into this world, man? What brought you in? I know your mother's an accountant. Yeah, so I, know, I know that might have had an impact. But what brought you into this world? Was it the was it banking? Like, what brought you into finance? I feel like so <laughs> it was recommended to me when I asked my mom what I should major in. She was like, "You should major in finance." Mm. I just kind of took her. I listened to her advice, and I got into the space. And once I got into the space, I started reading books outside of just what was assigned to me in class. So of course, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, and then I read Cashflow Quadrant, and then I went Rich Dad Guide to Investing, and I started reading a bunch of other books. Started watching CNBC, um, and ended up getting a job as financial advisor. Then worked in banking, and just kind of like stayed in the space. So really, it was just recommended to my mom. Said, "Hey, you're going to go to school for finance because finance guys make money, and you like money." And so I was like, but I think that what's interesting is <clears throat> I've almost, I've al I'm almost always kind of been like an entrepreneur. So I was interested in business. Like, of course, I started selling candy in middle school and uh, started different businesses. But then when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, he said, way to get rich is to be business and entrepreneurial. I was like, that's dope because I already like doing that. So then I kind of like doubled down on that space. So Charles, you just came back from Dallas, man. You know, Dallas is like one of the hottest spots in the country. Like people are moving there like crazy. They, they make it look like it's popping. Like what was your thoughts when you was up there? Dallas is dope. <coughs> Excuse me. What I like about Dallas is <coughs> is the black population is a progressive black population. Mm -hmm. 
you don't see too much ghetto stuff out there. At least I didn't go to the ghetto spots. So I'm just in downtown Dallas. I'm just going to the basketball game. I'm in that space. But I was very impressed with the black people that I ran across. But you know what also that I realized? And I, I told my mom this. I told my wife this. Is I was like, the white people are very nice out there. <laughs> like, very nice. Like, I was playing golf. And this dude was just, like, telling me his life story. Telling me about all his finances. Telling me all the different projects he has going on. All the stock he owns. Because I told him what I do. Um, you go hang out. White folks just, like, opening the door. Just speaking. Being real pleasant. And so that was one thing that I was surprised by. But I think that. And this sounds crazy, but being in an environment where, like, white people don't see you as a black person, they just see you as a person. And in California, I don't believe that that's necessarily the same. I think in California, where it's supposed to be liberal, and we're supposed to be equality and all that stuff, you actually get the opposite, where they look at you as though you're a charity project and though you need help. And so there's, like, racism comes that's overt, like I, and there's racism that comes on, like, I got to help you because you're beneath me. And a lot of times, liberals tend to kind of be racist in a way where you need me because you can't do it. You don't have the ability to do it. Whereas there's other people who say, like, I don't think you're any less of a person than I am. Go out there and get it. And so in Texas, I feel like that's what I, what I experience more. And I think that's why you see so many more progressive and productive black folks out there. Because the only thing that's keeping us back is the mentality that we can't do it. Mm-hmm. We can't mm-hmm. do it. It's the mindset and thinking that we can't. And so when you remove that, you see folks out there buying homes, living well, buying home or uh, starting families, raising families, all that stuff. And then what also that I like about Texas and that's different than California is Texas is a, a state where you can survive off of one income. Mm. They're not gouging you on property. They're not gouging you on the cost of the house. They are paying, paying, <clears throat> paying you very well. And so, I think that states like that that are more conservative, the Georgias, the Texas, and maybe even the Floridas, they actually make for a better black population. So that's kind of what I saw. That's, so, interesting. that's interesting, bro. So, hey, you got the clothing line with the Finance Friday, and you got this thing you always say that love is currency. Mm-hmm. Right. Explain to the folks what you mean by that, man. Where'd you get that from? Yeah, so I, I got the... I created the term. I ain't gonna say I created it because I'm sure other people have said it throughout the course of time, right? But I got the term from just watching my mom struggle financially sometimes. But we, I, I felt like we were always taken care of. From we were always taken care of, and the reason, like what I, and reflecting back on my life and just you know what I'm saying, seeing how how it went, I realized that we were always taken care of because my mom always brought so much value to every relationship that she was in. Like I just seen her, I just seen it. Like she was very, very good at relationships. And I seen those relationships act as currency in our lives. Like I seen where, when we might not necessarily have somewhere to stay like that, where people took us in and took us in with love because of what my mom was able to, to bring to those relationships. And from, you know, my reflection, those learnings, I realized that man, like love is really the most powerful currency in the world, even more powerful than money. And uh, it's interesting, I first, and again, I don't want to say I, I created it, but I first coined the term and started utilizing the term about two, maybe two and a half years ago now, but we just recently got a a, 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 a trademark on, on the phrase, love is currency. So, you know, nobody else can utilize that term on a piece of clothing, you know, hats, shirts, sweaters, pants. I ain't get it on shoes yet, but I'm going to get it on shoes just in case somebody <laughs> tries me. But, uh, but, uh, <laughs> 
yeah, we just got a trademark. And I thought that that was real cool too, because you don't really see, uh, you don't really see black folks touting the importance of trademarks. You don't see really people, really anybody touting the importance of IP. And I don't know how, where I got the understanding from, but I really understand the power of intellectual property where we create, um, owning our masters. Um, and I think that that, that idea extends way beyond the music industry. And I, you know, I'm just out to kind of prove and show what that looks like. So, you know, pay yourself first is, uh, it's, it's pending trademark pending. If I get that one, man, y'all in trouble. <laughs> the, the world is in trouble. If I get that one, man, I think it's cool because a while back, I tweeted that a lot of the issues that happen between business owners on the internet could be prevented if they just utilized a lot of the things that were put in place to protect against that. So trademark copyrights, contracts, lawsuits, things like that to protect us from a lot of some of the stuff that isn't all that uh, uh, admirable that we see happen in business where people will steal your content, recreate your content, repurpose your content. So you got to put that stuff in place. I'm curious, love is currency. How do you apply that to business? Because I'm yeah. now go ahead. Go ahead. Keep, keep, keep going. Because I was going to say that I was just telling the mastermind this morning that a lot of times in business, we, 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 minimize the transaction to just like a dollar amount that you can make off of somebody else as opposed to the relationship that you can build with somebody else not realizing that the relationship will take you so much further than that little 100 bucks 200 bucks 500 bucks that you can get off of that one person so if you can bring them into your atmosphere into your ethos however you do that that's going to pay off so much larger than just making it transactional making it about the money making it about how much money you can get off of one person in one transaction, which is what we see a lot of people doing, instead of looking at the lifetime value of that relationship. What is that relationship worth in perpetuity as it relates to your children, your children's children? I talk, I've actually got it on my tattoo. It's like a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but that doesn't have to be money. Ideally, it is money. It's like monetary wealth, but the relationships, a lot of other cultures, their kids are looked out for because their dad knew somebody. You don't get to the point where it's you You know somebody that can put your kid on if you're out there fucking everybody over. If you're out there, people do business with you and they never do business with you again. And so you got to maintain those relationships because your kids are going to inherit those relationships, not just the money that you leave them. If you leave them a bad name, you might as well have left them broke. Uh, nah, you said it, bro. You, 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 you 100% hit it on the nose, I think. And and to kind of piggyback on, on what you said, and then I, I go back into like love is currency. Uh, my father, my whole life, my father always says, son, as a black man in America, all you have is your name. And the Bible says that that a good name is, is worth more than silver and gold. Um, so I, I think that what you're like, that's what I took from what you said. And I think it's so very important that we apply that to every aspect of our lives. Right. Like what we do and how we treat people and the way that we go about handling our business is way more valuable than any dollar amount that we might be able to make in the short term or even in the long term. There's people that's working people for big money. You know what I'm saying? And they, you know, in business, they might win in that situation, but is it worth it? You know what I'm saying? And for me, like in creating finance Friday, I, the first thing I did is I created something called the 15 principles or the 12 principles of financial freedom. And because I believe that as black folks and really all people, right. But as black folks, that if we put principles before we put money, then we could start making more sound and better decisions because the, 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 the framework is already in place. 
it's a uh, it's a brother named 19 keys he talks about a, a lot about like the wealth standard the wealth standards of black people and i think when i was first uh, around the time i was first getting started that really struck me like yeah we do have to create standards and for me it was in the form of these 12 principles of financial freedom and as we put the draw draw those lines in, in the sand and we stand on top of the principles the money you know it's gonna come and sometimes it's not and that's neither here nor there what's most important is um the the relationship that we have with ourselves the relationship that we have with our with people and the relationships that we have with our with our community and it's interesting when i talk about how like you look uh when you look at like fundamental analysis in the stock market that's what made me say oh my parent the information my parents taught me has been valuable this whole time like if you look on a on a company's balance sheet there's actually a line in the balance sheet that says goodwill mm -hmm. you understand what i'm saying so what that tells me is that your name is actually an asset your the the goodwill the love that people have for your 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 products and your services is actually an asset that you could put on your balance sheet you know what i'm saying the companies actually put on their balance mm -hmm. sheet and uh you know that's never talked about but i think more importantly is is what you were saying is that as we like like thinking about the lifetime value of a relationship which is sometimes monetary but it's sometimes bigger than money you know what i'm saying so I think you was right on point, bro. I think you answered the question for me, to be honest. Yeah. So those 12 uh, financial principles, can you run this off for us really quick? Or at least a couple of them? At least a couple, man. I'll give you the ones I can remember off the top of my head, bro. It's, uh, pay yourself first. Love is currency. Uh, assets over liabilities. Buy land. Um, um, cash or equity over salary. Uh, cash flow is king. Um <laughs> leave a legacy i don't know how many i said just now i'm sure it's a lot that i'm missing uh you know what i'm saying the power of seven or eight. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's a couple more in there i'm sure it's a couple more in there i'm sure but uh yeah those are the ones off the top of my head man i mean those are some good ones man those are some good ones i mean we could go off on any one of those for a minute but um you got the book children's book be is for black wealth what made you write that like how'd you come up with that one when did you start working on it let us know yeah so first of all what is it tell the folks what is it first yeah 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 so the book is called be is for black wealth it's a guide a guide to generational or i'm sorry let me let me rewind that the book is called be is for black wealth um it's a children's book i'll start talking about a different product that's not available yet so excuse me let me rewind a little bit so the book is called be is for black wealth it's everything they don't teach us in school about business entrepreneurship finance and investing um it's written in the it's, it's an abc book so you know what i'm saying a is for africa and for assets that appreciate and then we break down what all of those words mean essentially um so it the way that we ended up what we ended up landing on between me and my publisher it's an independent publishing company um uh, we, we we call it like the the encyclopedia um like a children's encyclopedia and we're actually going to come out with the second edition called the family encyclopedia and really the book is not going to change much but uh we're doing a second edition actually to create a little bit of scarcity for the first edition that we created we we, we printed 1500 of those we're going to print 10,000 of the second edition um but also we're remixing it because although it is a children's book it's really a book for families like there's there's so much value that could be derived from every single person that touches the book to be honest and uh i think a great example of that is like i've been doing a lot of speaking engagements and things recently and like la just last week i spoke to a group of sixth to eighth graders i spoke to a group of like high school students and i spoke to a group of professionals um at, at a company called style seat and I literally taught them the same exact content. I delivered it slightly differently, but I gave them the same exact content. 
And the reason is because what's in the book is literally everything they don't teach us in schools, everything they don't teach us. So just like a, a, a eight year old might not have this information or understand or know this information, neither will a 30 year old if it's never been taught to them. And I'm just a real believer in like we only know what we've been taught. Um, so, you know, that's that that's the that's the the uh what's the word i'm looking for that's the uh uh the the need that i'm trying to feel you know what i'm saying i really want us to to have the basics and the principles down as a community you know what i'm saying and uh that's what i think bs for black wealth that that's the void that bs for black wealth starts to feel within our community it's cool man you gotta get them young man you gotta get them young i i see i'm happy to see more black people are trying to do that out there uh like by the hood they had they had a uh an online summer camp this summer mm -hmm. it was like the second or third year they did it and it was cool put my kids in there uh it was real cool man and it's surprising to see how fast these kids learn like the ones that did it the year before like they were talking about stocks and assets and appreciation man you gotta get them young man it's, it's cool A absolutely and one thing I, I don't think that we recognize as much as we maybe should right is that we all have like so there's a lot of like online edu just educators in general right and I think that part of the issue, like, I think that that's a great idea doing a summer camp, right? But we have a lot of information, but we have to start putting it in a fixed form. You understand what I'm saying? Because mm -hmm. when it's not in a fixed form, it gets lost over time. And even when you look at, at IP law, intellectual property law, you can't even own the rights to something until you put it in a fixed form. And not saying that a, cor a course is still considered a fixed form. You know what I'm saying? Like curriculum is still considered a fixed form. But the point is, like, I think that we need to do a better job of not just thinking about how we can get the most money now, but thinking about in 100 years, like I say this with all due respect, a lot of these courses won't be worth a dollar because it, it's just it's just there's no I don't know how to explain it, but it's just not it's not tangible enough to be passed on from generation to generation. And I think it's, some of this stuff is going to be lost in the sauce over time. So we have to put we have to start putting things in, in fixed forms and publishing these things. Right. And again, mm -hmm. of course, is a good thing. I got one coming too. you know what I'm saying? But the point is, you got to put it in a, in a fixed, tangible form in order for us to pass it along, in my humble opinion. Yo, it's the Options Trading Workshop, presented by Tide Capital. Learn the fundamentals and advanced trading strategies that allow us the chance to earn $20,000 in side money in one year while working a job and running multiple businesses. That's right. Learn the what, the where, and the how of options trading in this exclusive webinar. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. Oh, I hear you. And you talk about IP a lot. Uh, one thing I thought was cool when I, when I found out is like copyright law. I think a lot of people don't know, especially like our people, you know, we new to everything, is that through the copyright law, you once you write something, you automatically have the right to it as soon as you start writing it. You publish a book or any kind of work like that, you have the exclusive rights to that work till the day you die, plus another 70 years after you're gone, after you die. I don't think a lot of people know that, man. Talk that talk, my brother. And, and again, it, it applies to video content as well. It applies to so many different things. But it's just, uh, again, I just think it's different when you put it down in a fixed form. When you write it down, there's something about it. Books have lasted 
for a long, 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 long time. So it just makes sense. But that's talk that talk, bro. That's real good game for the people that they need to understand, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you knew that one already, right? But the thing is, like, you said one of your financial principles that you discovered a while back was one of them was pay yourself first. I remember where I first heard that. That was in uh, Richest Man of Babylon, yes, sir. written by George Clayson. And when I read that, I was like, man, that's that's crazy. That concept is like, that whole book is good, but that one concept from that book, it just like blows your mind. And that book was written in like 1950-something, man. Ni 1927 or 1924, one of those dates. Something and like that. The reason I know that, though, I'm going to tell you the reason I know that, because my, my grandfather was born in 1899, and my grandfather, my, my dad used to say, pay yourself first, son, my whole life. He Really, his whole phrase was, pay yourself first, son, and white folks already got some money. Basically saying, whoever else you was going to give the money to, they already got money. Don't don't worry about paying them, pay you first, right? But I didn't realize until I started, started sharing this content that my father actually got that phrase from my grandfather. And you talk to a lot of black people and they'll tell you that, they, oh, yeah, my grandpa, my granddad used to say that. My grandma used to say that. So it's a very common phrase amongst our community. But that book was written in 1924. My grandfather was already a grown man by that time. You understand what I'm saying? And and I can't think of the brother that the, the person that wrote that book. But I know that that person enriched themselves and enriched their whole families off of that. Essentially, that main key principle. That's why it's going to mean so much to me when I uh, own pay yourself first on any article of clothing, man. You know what I'm saying? That's that's the goal, man. We we we, we in a, a, a little small-time legal fight right now to try to own the rights. You know what I'm saying? So we'll see how it goes. I'll keep y'all updated. But that's why it's so important, man, for us to own what we create. If my grandfather, you know, he, wasn't, he had a third-grade education, so did he have the capacity to write that book? Maybe not, but he had an understanding of this one principle that survived from the 1800s till today, you know what I'm saying? And it's a key principle that's inside my book to this day. So I don't know, man. I just feel like it's so much, uh, it, it, it's so much beauty in that, but also like it's, it's, it's a little level of frustration too. It's like, man, we lost a lot of years. So that's why now is really the time. Like we really have a chance for a renaissance. We just have to, in my humble opinion, what we're going to have to do though is make sure that this renaissance doesn't just benefit the few. You know what I'm saying? Because there's been a lot of different renaissance uh, 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 just in, in different in, in different things. But if we can't figure out how to make it ground up, it's not really going to matter in 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years. It's not going to matter. Right. Yeah, man. And that's part of the reason. What you're saying, I'm happy that Charles like recently um, published like, these two books. A hey. book about stock options and especially this one, uh, Make a Million make a million Dollars While You're Young. Yes, like, sir. First, he's, he wrote it as the ebook, and I was thinking about, man, we should publish it. We out I, was thinking, I was thinking, man, it was kind of so short. I'm like, I don't know if that would even long enough to make a good book. And surprise, surprise, he he did it, man. It was like, yeah, this is actually a good size. I love it, bro. Tell me about your book, man. Tell me about it. Man, I wrote two books. The first book is the book about stock options, which essentially outlines the whole options trading kind of program that I created. So um, I actually added some more to it. So when I first started the options course, it was in 2018. And I had a good understanding of options, but as time has gone along, I've gotten a lot of feedback from different people who have bought the course and uh, added their thoughts to it and even like exposed me to some new ideas. I was starting to add more into that. So there's a lot more information on technical analysis, fundamental analysis, chart patterns, indicators, um, things like that that I kind of left out of the actual course, but I've added later with the different modules. So that was the one. And then the other one is the book that I just talked about how uh, creating digital products, marketing your digital products uh, through social media, leveraging larger pages, 
um, man, pretty much everything I've done to kind of accumulate the money that I accumulated in 2020, 2021 and beyond. So I outlined that then in that entire book. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good one too, man. Like it's short, but it gets right to it, man. This is these chapters, man. Find your unique lane, release everything, promote like your hair is on fire. Advertise testimonies and results every day. Leverage social media. Be willing to be criticized. Use scarcity and limited re releases. Go all in on what sticks. Leverage larger pages. Content, content, and more content. Yeah. I, I, tell me, the uh, you said release everything? Yeah. Tell yeah. me that. Talk, talk to me about that one, bro. That might be the word I need in my life right now. And for I, real quick... But I don't think you need anybody to tell you to release everything. Man. Nah, Come trust on, me, bro. It's, it, it's, it's <laughs> every time you got something bigger in you and it's coming out, it's hard, bro. It's hard every time for me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like it's like birthing a child. Like Even when I was releasing my book, I was like, man, like at the end, it just gets more friction, more friction. And, and I'm feeling that same thing right now. You know what I'm saying? For a couple of things I got going. So I need to hear the brother's word. But real quick, before you give me that word for myself, right? I would love for the people that are jumping on that are my folks that might not know who you are. Like talk about that 2020 and, and the type of year you had selling digital products, man, just give us the quick highlights and then tell me about releasing everything. Yeah. So, um, I want to say 2019, I kind of got exposed to digital products towards the end of the year and uh, started creating courses, not even just for myself, but also somebody else's platform. I was working with Andre Hatchett. And I'm the kind of guy that I say yes to everything. So if you tell me you want me to teach something, I'm going to say, yeah, I'll teach it. And so in doing that, um, I learned that I had the ability to teach. And people wanted to listen to hear what I had to say. And so I just kind of kept that in my back pocket for a little while. And then what I did also in 2019 is I started being an affiliate for Terry Ijeoma and her course. And so in 2019, I helped Terry Ijeoma with uh, being an affiliate. And she was able to help me get like an extra few, like $1,000 here and there. And I was using that to kind of pay the rent and supplement the rent and whatnot. And so I learned two skills. I learned that I knew how to package my, my knowledge and also learned how to market things online. And so from then in 2020, I just started creating a bunch of content, creating a bunch of courses and uh, running sales on those products. And so running sales directly and just being really aggressive with what I was putting out, especially as my son was being, uh, being born. And so like once my son was born, I kind of like kicked it into heavy, heavy gear and I got to the point where I didn't really care what anybody had to say. I didn't care if they liked it, they didn't like it, they hated on it, they thought I wasn't qualified to teach it, they thought I didn't know everything about everything to teach it. I just had to get the information out to people and it started to catch on. And so what happened is uh, people started taking my course on options and they'll make their money back the next day. And then they started making crazy money in options. And so this isn't the, like everybody can't do it, but the people who are really applying it to themselves and putting the time in, they were doing stuff I never thought that they could do because with the stock market, a lot of times we think that it's not for us. And so stock options, which is, is more complicated, more fast moving than, than the stock market, I was like, that must really not be for us. And I was pleasantly <laughs> see that we grasped it, we mastered it, we took it to the next level, so much so that I've seen people take my content, create their own content, create their own communities, and things like that. So in 2020, we sold about 20,000 copies of that product at about 100 bucks. And I want to say made about like three, like three that year. And then I also created an online community that that fed and supported the people who bought the course. And that generated about one point five. So overall, we, we did pretty well. And of course, I had to pay taxes and things like that. I think my numbers might be off because that was kind of like two and a half years ago. But I mean, did enough to kind of quasi be set for life. 
Um, I do I do some other things now um, to continue to bring in revenue, but mostly just like took that money, put into dividend paying stocks, doing some real estate projects out of state and things like that. And so to kind of talk about releasing everything. And it's funny because I feel like we had this conversation when I was in Sacramento because I was like walking you through the things that I think I might have covered in that book in some capacity. And so what I did is every single thing that I knew how to do, I packaged it up and put it online and put it online. And so a lot of us are sitting on skills and knowledge that we haven't packaged up and put online. And for some, I don't know why we do it. I just know that we do do it. But like Masterpiece says, like you need more product. And what I realized is when you have product and you have automations, you have passive income. So I don't have to do anything because I have Hype Fury firing off. I got Buffer firing off. I have Meet Edgar firing off. And so all those posts you see, the testimonials, all I did was upload my testimonials to Buffer. Every single day I got four or five testimonials going off. I never have to worry about it ever again. Um, and so really you got to take an inventory of every single idea that you have and execute on that idea. And I think what time what we try to do is we try to find that that number one idea that's going to hit, not realizing that the market's going to determine that. And so you got to give the market more opportunities to find what's hot. And so you might have a book, you might have a course, you might have a workshop, you might have one on one coaching, you might have group coaching, you might have working with with uh, schools and putting a curriculum into the schools. You got to release every single one of those things because you never know what's going to catch fire. But then when you do find that thing that catches fire, that's what you focus on. So an example would be in our mastermind, we had a girl who started a cleaning company and she's trying different things and trying to get clients different ways. And she found that she has the most success with the Airbnb clients because they are incentivized to hire because they don't even pay for it. The actual guest pays for it. Um, they always are going to need cleaning over and over and over again. The more guests they have, the more cleaning they need. And so I told her, I don't don't focus on anything else but Airbnb clients. Make your business all about specializing and working with Airbnb clients and go all in on what works. And so instead of wasting your time on things that may or may not be hidden, you just gotta focus on what's working for you, but you don't get there if you don't try everything. And so you gotta try things, taste things. You gotta, you gotta like test things out, not knowing what's gonna stick for you. But then once you find that stick, that's your home run. And a lot of us, we're trying to say like, oh, in my mind, I'm gonna have a cleaning company and we're gonna serve families who have little kids, but families who have little kids, they don't have the budget for that right now. They're constricting their budget. So why would you be out there trying to sell to those people when you need to sell a different way? You need to create a different product. So that's just what I would say is like, you got to get out of your own way. You got to stop trying to expect it to be the end all be all. You just got to release stuff. Cause I never thought the options course would take off like that. Never did. I thought what I thought was going to take off was the real estate stuff. Why? Cause real estate's already working for other people. And so I said, dang, if real estate's working for them, it should work for me too. Not knowing that I had to go into a completely different lane to find and make a name for myself because you're already competing with people who have a stronghold on that industry so much so that you enter that industry, they're already going to be looking at you kind of questionable. Like, oh, who's this dude, this new new guy on the block? He ain't the guy that I've been seeing for weeks and months. And you got to kind of create your own lane. Like that's where the big bread is. The big companies that you see out there that are disruptors, they're disruptors because they're new. They're disruptors not because they said, all right, you guys got pizza. We got pizza too. No, they're like, you got pizza all right, we got chicken sandwiches, and this chicken sandwich is fire. That's right. Basically saying, I, yeah, I like the idea of releasing everything, but then you niche down as the market speaks to you. So right. when the market tells you what's what, you listen, and and, and that's, that can now become your niche as exactly. opposed to just thinking 
you know, getting in line behind everybody else and what they got going on. Yep, yep. Love it. I love it. Yeah, what what Charles didn't mention is before even the option he put up the options course, he had put together an investment club yeah. for back folks. You know, and that's how I kinda jumped on the bandwagon. Mm. Joined the club, invest we invested in stocks, bought stocks. Uh that's that club got shut down because the app lost funding or something like that. Mm. But it was a nicer return though, I'll tell you that much. But the uh, is the thing is is that was free. There wasn't like need to join that or participate in that, except for eventually kind of added like a little minor admin cost because it was it was taking a lot of work to do it. But the idea, the premises, it was definitely free. And what is cool about that is me and Raphael still got a relationship to this day. Hey, just a question about data, bro. Were you able to bring the people from that community with you? You know what I'm saying? Like how many did how many did you bring and how how many did you lose? Oh, you know what I'm saying? and any any lessons in there? Uh. I don't know, but I'm not sure of the exact numbers, but I would say that as large as the investment club was, which was about 300 members, the options community was like 10 times that. Mm, got you. And my email list at that time, my current email list is like 10 times that. Got so, you. And a lot of the people who were rocking with me since then are still rocking me with, the, with me today. So, I mean, Raphael is just one of the people who have stuck along, stuck around for the long haul. Uh, Brandy was there. Uh, Ricky Anderson was there. There's a lot of people who started way back when who are still still around. Jamal Batos, a lot of people. Yep, Andre Hatchett, people like that. And then yeah. from the club, you know, and the funny thing is I joined the club just so I could get known. Like, so I'm like, something big pop off later, at least they know my name. Isn't that crazy how it works hand in hand? It all yeah, I'm up. like, they gonna, sooner or later they're going to get big and – even if I got crazy money, it's gonna be like, bro, we don't know you. <laughs> so I jumped in on in the on the stuff. I wasn't even really interested in in being a part of the club, honestly. I just wanted to get get in there so they know who I was. Yeah, you and was interested I, in the community. You was interested in in, in 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 the community. Basically, and then I was doing my own blog back then, so I ended up working with Charles on his blog, and then it went from there. And then he blew up in 2020, and he was putting up the tweets, and people kept asking, "Yo, can you expand on that? Can you explain that? Whatever, whatever, whatever." I'm like, yo, we should do a podcast based on that, man. Nah, I'll I, I be, I be tuning in, bro. I ain't gonna lie, bro. You, you be gassing on those, man. <laughs> content, bro. It's really great content. I think that just different different corners of information that I just don't really see covered, honestly. Um, so I, I enjoy that podcast. I enjoy what you have to say on there for sure, man. So I, I appreciate you for putting that together, brother Raphael. I think that's is is valuable for sure. Yeah, man. Try to connect the people, man. Um, try to get the information out there. I've been lately. I've been going to a lot of in person events. It feels good, man. After the, the shutdown, mm-hmm. um, getting out there, meeting people, building more relationships out there. See what can come from that. Um, I know you big into the you. I I feel that like you release everything, brother. I know you on you on the you on the crypto wave too. Oh yeah, we all we we all need some crypto, man. Pure point blank, we all need some crypto. The blockchain is what the internet is going to be built off of. And really more than the internet, a lot of financial systems are going to be built on the blockchain in the next 10 years. But the internet being one of them, being that the internet is a financial system in a lot of ways, right? But also because of the issues that we have around data right now. That's why I kind of asked Brother Charles, like like, what was it like when that particular app shut down or whatever the case was, was he able to keep his people? Right, because the internet, like Instagram, owns so much data, bro. They get so much data. They get more out of my followers than I get out of my followers, and that 
applies for everybody, right? So if my followers are worth $10,000 a month to me, they're worth, the, the data's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars a month for Instagram easily, right? Um, and that's what the blockchain is gonna, uh, is gonna allow people to really do. They're gonna allow people to, um, to basically take their data with them. You know what I'm saying? So like, just get, just for example, like say I have a website, um, that's built on the blockchain. Say that whoever is connected with me through this website, I get to keep their, I get to keep their, those, that information with me everywhere I go. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm into crypto. I'm into the blockchain. Still learning, man. It's, it's still so young and so fresh. Still trying to figure out and angle ways to get the most bang for my buck out of what I already know is going to happen. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's one thing I can't say I figured out. I have theoretically, but it's, you know what I'm saying? It's not always easy to execute. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it's tough. It, it's, it's, it's a brand new, it's, it's friction. It's full of friction, right? It, it's, it's, the biggest reason a lot of people aren't involved in the blockchain, like even even people that are like, you know, want to want to uh, uh, or that invest in Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever. The reason that people don't aren't that uh, uh, like aren't doing as much as they can and should be on the blockchain. Everyday people, not people that code is because it's not user friendly yet. So, you know, yeah, bro, I, I, I'm into it, man. I'm into it. Yeah, I think that. It's funny, um, you, we're usually slow to everything, um, but they say that black folks are really the number one community that's uh, buying crypto right now. I don't know how educated we are, but I know you mentioned data. That's one thing I think um, black folks are kind of behind on. They don't, they, don't, they don't understand the money in big data. I'm starting to find out myself, like, that's like the next wave that we need to be on. Like, yeah, and even just having connections to our community, like the brother... Uh, mentioned his email list i think we don't talk about that often enough we don't talk about the power and having a direct direct communication with our with our people you know what i'm saying we're more concerned with instagram followers which is good but as soon as they cut the lights off you know what i'm saying they could as soon as they cut the lights off between you and a segment of your followers which we've seen them do you know what i'm saying now you just lost all the work that you did to try to and i'm not saying it's lost completely i'm just saying that there's a more efficient way to do it um and as we're building our social medias, as we're building other things, we need to be building our email list. We need to be building our phone number list. Um, it's important, man. That's our data. That's what's going to help us survive. And somebody with a good email list and a good reputation will eat forever, period. Just is what it is. Yeah, them other folks been talking about that for, for like literally decades. Yeah. And really, to me, to me, even email list, bro, even email list is, is a little bit overrated just because we get so much in our email now. Now it's really phone numbers. That's the most sacred you know what I'm saying? That's the most sacred uh, uh, space that most people have is, is in their inboxes, in their phone. So I, I really think that phone numbers as well. Yep. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. It's with the times. Um, it's funny because I was telling somebody this recently. It's like, I'm not an Instagram person. I'm a business person who uses Instagram in the moment. When we needed to pass out flyers on people's cars, we did that. When I needed to be using Twitter to market, we did that. When I needed to have a bunch of Facebook friends, I did that. So... Whatever the current thing is, we figure out how to get on it. We figure out how to win there, and then we leverage that. So whatever it might be coming, I'm not beholden to Instagram. I'm beholden to my brain and what I can think of and create in the future. So if anybody's watching this and they're like, oh, Instagram is holding us back, Instagram is this, like, nah, fam, what's next? What's next? It might be TikTok. It might be none of that stuff. It might be in-person events. It might be flying out and going to school and meeting people, shaking hands in person, whatever that might look like. That's where you got to be. Like, we choose to be entrepreneurs. We're not just people who, I mean, Instagram is great. 
like the fact that Instagram allows us to do what we can do is fantastic. But there's other ways out there that can work just as well. We just got to really be studying and figure out how to tap in. Because, I mean, quite honestly, it's not even just Instagram that does it. It's how you use Instagram. So the stuff that I talk about in that book, Million Dollars While You're Young, everybody got Instagram, but some people use it to post pictures of the food, post pictures of the party outfit, post whatever. People are networking with other people on this app. They're just there. Same tool that is not leveraging it. So, I mean, even still, you still got to be thinking and creating. And it's all uh, it's all cyclical. Like mm. in person events, will never really fully go out of style, like, right? So you can't abandon it completely. Email lists still work. Um, and I like to tell people like you get on these platforms with the intent to get people off these platforms. Mm. Like you get the followers so you can get them on your list, your website, whatever. Like get them off the platform. It's like if you people are asking how do you how do you monetize a podcast, you get them off the podcast. Mm. Use the podcast to build your authority, your expertise, whatever. Get people to look at you as an expert, and then you get them off that platform and charge them for something. Talk that talk, bro. Talk that talk. Charge them for something. So, what's next? What's the next product you coming out with, man? Oh man. So, you talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you, man. Okay. Uh, yeah, man. So, I I do have a course that's coming out shortly. I haven't officially announced it, but you know, I, I'm not shy to talk. I don't care. <laughs> But uh, it's going to be called Biz for Black Wealth, a guide to generational wealth. Um, it's five different wealth building strategies in there, four different wealth building strategies. Well, I would say five different wealth building strategies within the book. Um, we, we walk people through like literally step by step, um, opening up a brokerage account. We walk people through, you know what I'm saying, automating their purchases of just basic index funds, the NASDAQ and the uh, S&P 500. We walk people through uh, doing the same thing with cryptocurrency, just automating their buys with uh, Ethereum and, and, and Bitcoin. Um, we give a lot of just really good information. We, we walk people through what compound interest is. We, we have, you know, we have assessments. We have something called your money making personality quiz where it literally, you know what I'm saying? It's a quiz. And at the end of the quiz, it'll tell you, give you some insight about you and the type of entrepreneur you are and the type of money maker that you are. Um, you know what I'm saying? We have, it, it's also built on top of my book, Biz for Black Wealth. So we have a lot of uh, a lot of uh, activities that you could do with your children as well. We got some coloring activities, um, you know, different ways for children to think. Um, so as adults are learning, the children are learning at the same time. So kind of like what Charles said earlier, it's like uh, generational wealth absolutely has to do with money, but it also has to do with information. So our course is to me the first of its kind where you're where where your children are actually learning with you in ways that make sense and resonate resonate with them and then also for like for the people that understand a lot of those ba oh, budgeting is also we, we also have budgeting tools on there that are all all of this stuff is a uh, what's the word i'm looking for we created it ourselves like we created it from scratch we're not taking tools that anybody else has we're, we're taking tools that we've created i can't think of what the word is but it's uh uh, proprietary? proprietary that's the word it's all proprietary tools that we created ourselves and then uh well most of it you know what i'm saying i would say like a very large percentage of the course right and then um and then we actually have uh we all actually have access to uh, a piece of artificial intelligence that helps people make money passively it's something that i've been using for like the last three months um and basically trades crypto on your behalf 
within your account. You don't got to hand over no money or do nothing. You know what I'm saying? You don't got to hand over no money to nobody else. It does it directly in your Binance account. Um, and it's just a piece of technology that we we just stu- that we just I don't want to say stumbled across early, but we kind of stumbled across it early due to some good relationships. Um, you know, and it does like eight to fourteen percent per month. Uh, so far, depending on how much you depending on how much you, you you put in, I would say the first three months I did I did like seventeen. It, let me say that it advertised to do six to six to twenty one percent per month, but what I've actually seen has been eight to eight to fourteen percent over the last three months. You know what I'm saying? So uh, yeah, man, we got a little little some a little bit of something in there for everybody, and I created it with a with an educator, right? So a lot of courses are just people sitting down and talking to you. Our course is a real toolkit. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you're really it, it, we're, we're talking to you, uh, we're, we're talking to you, we're writing things to you, but we're also having you have output as well. You're writing things, you're creating things as well. So it, it makes for a lot better learning experience than any anything that I've seen. You know what I'm saying? If I'm being honest. So uh, that's the next thing, man. And also, you know, I, you know, I'm just going to tell y'all because I don't care, man. It's going to the 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 rollout's going to be the rollout. But I'm also going to uh, I'm also in the process of creating a 10k giveaway where I'm actually going to raise money to give away 10,000 books. You know what I'm saying? We're going to do a, 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 a auditorium speaking tour. I think is what we're gonna uh, we're gonna market it as or uh, what's it called when you go to schools? Is the auditorium? Uh, but we're, we're basically we're going into schools and we're doing free speech, like a, a free free workshops um, throughout the like between January and May. And then, like I said, we're raising money to give away books while we're at these workshops and really just in other other contexts too. we already given out 100 books for Christmas this year. And our goal is to give out 10,000 books next year. So those are the those are the next things coming, man. Like like I said, I needed to hear that release everything because. It's <laughs> when you get to the end, bro, you feel the friction, man. You feel the friction, man. It's not easy being a visionary, man. I'll tell you that right meaning now. Meaning what? Meaning what though? Feeling the friction, meaning what? I meant to ask you that early. It's I gotta I gotta it's bath time. I gotta get my son a bath. But oh, well, on here, um, I know Raphael's he can keep going, so I want you to get as much value as you can out of this brother because it's been a long time coming, but I don't want to hold that up. But thanks for coming on, man. It was good talking to you, good seeing you again. And uh, we'll have to see what else we can put together in the future. Absolutely, my brother. I appreciate your time for sure. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Go handle your business, man. And we'll, we'll be in contact soon, bro. All right, cool. Yes, sir. Cool, so, so, yeah, man, that's what it is, man. You know what I'm saying? That's what it is. That's where I'm headed. Uh, where, when I say it's a lot of friction, what I'm saying is, like, it gets – it's just hard to release. I, I guess it, like – it, it, it's tension between being like wanting to do it perfect. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a level of wanting it, want, wanting to execute it perfect. And also just the, uh, just the, the, I don't know, the work to get it out always seems the hardest at the very end. That's the best way I could put it. Like, it's like, I'm right there. I'm right there. I'm right there. And just crossing my T's and dotting my eyes to make sure that it comes out as, as, as smooth as possible is you know it's not easy you know what i'm saying but it's it's definitely gonna be worth it though mm, 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 mm. yeah i ain't man. have a chance to look at these comments man but yeah that's what's next for me bro that's what's next it's it's coming together and it's coming along man i appreciate y'all for having me today and for for uh you know what i'm saying just giving me a chance to kind of talk out what i'm talking out think out what i'm thinking through 
And uh, you know you know what it is, bro. I'm always a phone call away. You could always tap in and get me to do whatever you need me to do, man. Just say the word. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Well, you, what it, real quick before you go, man. What do you think is that future, that next thing that's coming? Not not necessarily from you, but what's that next thing? I know we know we know the AR. We we already talked about it's behind the scenes, the AR. Yeah, I like, think it's AI. In gen I think it's it's artificial intelligence in general, bro. It's coming. It's about to eat up market share in every single every single industry, and it's gonna be exponential when it does it, right? It's not just gonna eat up a little bit it's gonna eat up a lot you understand what i'm saying a lot of market share because you just got to think of it bro if, if a great company comes in and amazon comes in and starts selling books and amazon could get to i don't know 80 90 market share in a particular industry imagine what a machine can do when it when it, it gets smarter exponentially over time you understand what i'm saying so i think ai is going to take market share out of every major market share out of every single industry and i think that it's our job to um to, to to leverage ai early and often you know what i'm saying so we need to we need to be finding ways that we can leverage ai to to work on our behalf um or else it's going to eat up it's going to eat up what we got going on so i would say the answer to that is is artificial intelligence for sure is here it's not coming anymore it's here and it's going to take up market share in every single industry it is here man and the thing is a lot of people don't realize that they think they, they don't realize when things are here. They, it, it takes a while for you to notice it, like exactly. for it to be commonplace, but it's already, things are already here. It just take, it might take a decade for you to notice it on the street, on a, in your everyday life to where you know it's happening, but it's already here. And oh yeah. You talked about data before, like you talking about AI, but data is the, is the stepping stone. It is that first step into the AI, but people don't know, like the data is what, feeds into that take all the data and then that's how you get machine learning go from that data analytics to data science to, to machine learning and that's the hottest that's like the hottest um industry not industry but like career path right there machine yeah. learning. when you start to look at where big big time investments are going that's when you'll know what's coming next right like so for me when i talk about ai being next like it's really right now because five ten years ago that's where a lot of huge companies were leveraging their investments you know what i'm saying they were, they were spending big money on ai now i'm starting you're starting to see ai products pop up AI, or ai products pop up artificial intelligence products pop up um you know what i'm saying and that's a result of the of the large investments and machine learning is that's where the, a lot of it like you said a lot of the investment is going right now so yeah bro you you, you all point yeah. That's where we need to get in, man. The, the data and the machine learning, because you said air is already here. That's that's where the, the need is for the machine learning, because not too many people know are experts in that. So that's where the big that's where the big money is. If you get yourself skilled in that, get a career, or even uh, build business, definitely gotta get into the business of it. Like we can't always be just the spectators. Man, that's a fact. That's a fact, my brother. Well, again, yeah. I, pre I appreciate your time, bro. If you got anything else for me, don't you know you, you can shoot it. But man, I appreciate your time, and I'm glad to spend some time with you today. And, and, and like I said, get some things off my chest, talk out some things I've been thinking through. So I appreciate you for that, for real. For sure, brother. Yeah, we're gonna wrap it up. Be sure to follow us, follow myself, follow our page, Creek Talk Podcast, follow Todd.Capital, follow my brother Ant right here, Ant Walker33. You know, subscribe to the podcast. We talk is the Tweet Talk, the Batwell Podcast. Myself, Raphael, and Charles. Man, get with us. Top 200 business podcast. You ain't messing with us. Y'all have a good night. Peace, peace.
Yeah. Yes, this is Donald the Voice, the official podcast editor and producer of the Tweet Talk podcast featuring, of course, Charles Oglesby and the man Raphael Husbands. And look, man, if you just listen to this episode, then you know exactly what I'm capable of. You know my swag. You know what I can do. And so without any further ado, I kind of want to give you a special offer for Tweet Talk podcast episode listeners. And here's what it is. Head on over to DonaldTheVoice.com. And if you have podcasts or video editing needs, let's talk. And of course, I'm giving you a real, real nice deal. But you have to mention that you're a Tweet Talk podcast listener. And this offer isn't going to last forever. So if you're on social media or you have a business or you got something going on to where you need somebody to edit and produce your content, come and holla at your boy. And I promise to take care of you, our dedicated listener to the Tweet Talk podcast. Again, head over to DonaldTheVoice.com and hit the contact page and let's have a little conversation. Okay, back to your day, your evening, your morning, whatever's going on. Peace.